And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often he falls into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why, why, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, you like I say, you've gone from this amazing encounter, this amazing thing where Jesus is on the mountain, to a story about a dad, and it's described as his son being an epileptic there. Now, that, that doesn't mean that uh, everyone who has epilepsy is, is oppressed by a demon, but it's more so we can understand and associate with what was going on and what it looks like, okay? So you've got this guy who's got a son. It's not a baby, so it's probably a child. We don't know how old they are, but a child who... Uh, is, is struggling a lot, afflicted a lot, throws himself into fire sometimes, throws himself into water sometimes. Mark, because uh, there's accounts in Luke and Mark as well, Mark describes that this kid foams at the mouth. This kid writhes around on the floor. This kid goes rigid and grinds his teeth. That's the description given here. And in complete contrast to this awesome experience on the mountaintop, there's something that's not good going on here. On family holidays, for example, you wouldn't be able to have a campfire if this was your son because he'd throw himself into the fire or be thrown into the fire. Swimming as a pastime was not something you could do. Countless times it seems to say that he's gone into the fire, he's gone into the water. And the disciples, this is really like mind-blowing stuff here. The disciples try and heal him and they fail. Have you seen that? The disciples try and they fail, so Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in, rebukes the demon, and he's healed instantly. And as I read through this passage, um, I'll be honest with you, I had more questions than answers. It's one of those passages where you go, what? <laughs> well, what was wrong with the disciples? Did God do this? Did God do it on purpose? Were the disciples never listening to Jesus? How long had this kid had it? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. I had all these questions going through my mind like, what is this passage about? What is the point? What is Jesus trying to communicate to us? What is Matthew communicating to us through this story about Jesus? And so I've got a series of kind of points, if you like, that are more my answers to questions that I had. So no doubt after I've read that, hopefully at least, in the back of your mind you're going, oh, I've got this question or I've got that question. Hopefully I can knock them for six. That's the idea anyway. And if I don't, you've got other questions. Come and talk to me afterwards, and I'll point you to someone theological. Uh, so first one, this is going to seem like a real Sunday school thing, but I think it's really important given this passage. God is good. Satan is evil. I think that's really important. Like, and actually, it's something that you say, oh, I know that. That's really easy. Of course we know that. But sometimes we'll ask questions like, did God do this? Was this God's doing, this child? Which tells me that we haven't quite got that God is good and Satan is evil. Because if we're asking questions like, has God done this? 
Is God throwing a kid into a fire? Is God throwing a kid into the water? We haven't quite got that God's good, have we? Like, you might think I'm good, hopefully. You think I'm a nice guy, right? Sometimes I do good things, right, Grace? Sometimes, yeah. Occasionally, I can do nice things. And you might describe me as a good person, a nice person. But it's not like, it's not like I'm always good. I'm not consistently good, am I? No. Yeah, you said that too quickly. But here, it's like God's DNA is goodness. He can't not be good. Whereas I can choose to not be good and to do stupid things. God can't do that. God can only ever do good. That's his character. He therefore cannot do evil. He can't do stuff like what's going on here to people because he's good. But our world is not quite so good, is it? It's corrupt everywhere you look. There's pain, there's misery, there's hurting. But when it was first created, it was good. In fact, it was very good. God affirms it was good, yet when we messed up, when we went our own way, when we said, no, God, I'm not interested, sickness entered the world, death entered the world, pain entered the world, misery entered the world, affliction enters the world. And so the question I had was, well, if God didn't do this, then who did? If God doesn't cause this pain, then who does? And actually, primarily, I'd say we do, actually, whether that's a popular thought or not. But as humans, we afflict ourselves, we hurt ourselves, we mess up ourselves by not going God's way. But we also mess up each other, don't we? But also, Satan is evil. Satan wants nothing more than to mess us up. So I'd say mostly it's humanity. I'm not one of those guys that sees demons everywhere, you know, up there, down there, everywhere. But they do exist. But most of the time, I think we mess up and everything's messed up because of us. I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy. You have it demonstrated perfectly here in in some ways, the difference between good and evil. Jesus is glowing on the mountaintop, radiating. And you've got Peter there like, this is the best thing ever. I want to build tents and stay here forever. This is the greatest moment ever. Brilliant, right? Who, I'd love to be there. That sounds like a great place to be. And then they come down the mountaintop, and you've got a father whose son is not in a good way. You've got a father whose son is, is afflicted. Now, and I wouldn't use the word possession here. Some of you might like that term, you know, like he's demon-possessed. I don't, it feels like more he's demon-oppressed when you read this. It feels like he's oppressed by something. It feels like he's afflicted by something. That sometimes, on occasion, he throws himself into the fire. I don't think he's willingly doing that. Sometimes he throws himself into the water. It's more like he is oppressed, full of fear, full of pain, full of suffering. Both the son and the dad. If you can imagine that situation, be full of pain, full of fear, and full of suffering. And Satan wants nothing more than us full of fear, full of pain, and full of suffering. Because we don't trust God then. We start doubting the goodness of God. Doubting the goodness of God, that's a good place that the enemy wants us to be. Because we, we take our eyes off him and we start excusing things or blaming ourselves or blaming other people. And we don't look to God. I'm left with the uncomfortable thing when you read this passage that either this whole story is made up by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or that demons and Satan are real and they do stuff then and they do stuff now. 
There's one of those two, isn't it? Either it's completely made up or it's a real thing. And if it's a real thing, it means it's a real thing today as well. It means that God is good and Satan is evil and his minions, his demons, which are fallen angels, by the way, and that's all they are, fallen angels, are about and love to cloud our eyes, leave us in pain, leave us in misery. And actually, God doesn't want that for us. You know, what it brought to mind was questions like why and what are we going to do about it? If, if these things are real and they happen, if, if there is stuff where actually there are forces of evil that are up to stuff in people's lives and oppressing and afflicting and attacking people, what are we going to do about it? Do we just watch on? Do we just go, oh, cool story. Nice, I enjoy that. We don't, do we? We're in a spiritual battle. And I had this, like, I had this dawning moment. I, call me what you like, but I had this moment. Uh, last night, Saturday night, I was kind of scribbling away and, and thinking about this morning. And I had this moment, I was like, oh, whenever he talks about, you know, dealing with the enemy, it's always a spiritual battle. It suddenly dawned on me. It's never described as a spiritual funfair. It's never described as, oh, it's just a walk in the park. It's described as a spiritual battle. Something hard, something that you fight through. Listen to this. Finally, this is why Paul says this in Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord. Wouldn't have to say that if it wasn't a battle. And in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. What do you need armor for? For it's easy. You don't, do you? means it's a battle. means it's difficult. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle. Wrestling? Anyone into wrestling? That's pretty full on. It's not a passive activity. Uh, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness. And then he says, therefore, which whenever you read the word therefore, it means because of this, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then he goes on to describe a bunch of ways like have faith, have the readiness of the kind of gospel of peace, have the sword that a spirit, be armed ready for this battle because it's a real thing. And it's not against each other. It's not against other humans. They're not your enemy, but it's the one who's evil ultimately and his little horde of minions uh, that the battle is against. And it just occurred to me, I just thought, actually, we've got to start taking this stuff seriously. It's a battle for our own souls, but for the souls of others around us too. And sometimes, and this is why I say it's a battle, sometimes I don't think we help ourselves. Now, I'm not being like super conservative and like a, don't do this, this is a stupid thing to do. I'm not going to do that if you, you know. But like, I do have a bit of a thing about horror films, just as like on a side. Like something that has been created and made in the name of entertainment, but to cause evil, to, to cause horror, to cause harm. Like, you're not going to be able to convince me that that's good for your soul. You're not. You're not going to be able to convince me that's a good thing, ever. Full stop. I don't want to hear it. It's not good for you. And like, actually, there are things we can do if we're in a spiritual battle that we can take seriously. Like, look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. Maybe there's things that aren't helpful for us to avoid them. There are, you know, very much today is stuff of witchcraft and the occult and wicker and all that is real. Stuff happens. I know that there's people in this church that have been in that place and have been rescued from darkness to light in Jesus. And I absolutely know that they would completely agree with me. 
that sometimes we don't do ourselves any favors in the spiritual battle because we minimize it. Because we think, oh, it's nothing. It's fine. We're in a battle and we've got to remember God is good. And that is the basis of this passage, that God is good. Because if we forget that God is good, we start believing lies about God. And as soon as we start believing lies about God, we give the enemy a foothold in our life. Our insecurities, if we're really insecure, if we struggle with that, our fears of other people or of stuff or of death or whatever it might be, somewhere along the line, for those things to take place and to be cultivated in our heart, we've believed a lie about God. Because if I'm loved and I know I'm loved, then I love. If I'm loved and I know I'm loved, and Jesus loves me and has died for me, I can be at peace. If I'm loved, if God is good, then I don't actually need to mind about what X or Y has to say about me because I know what my Father in heaven has to say. You see how when we start doubting what God says is true, it starts changing how we approach and think about things. Don't believe the lie that you're worthless. Don't believe the lie that you're not valuable. Jesus died for you. You ever need like reminding of that? You ever need that, oh, this is terrible. I hate this. I hate my life. I hate everything in it. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus thinks you're valuable. And you know what? That's more important even than your own opinion of yourself. That God thinks you are worth dying for. And more than that, living for. And this kid here, probably written off by everyone. Oh, he's the kid who jumps in the fire. We've all heard about him. He's the kid who jumps in the water and tries to drown himself. Written off probably by everybody except for one. Except for one. Look at the passage here. This is what the father has to say. I brought him, speaking of his son, who's like in a bad way. I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. I want you to notice that it doesn't say would not. It doesn't say they wouldn't do it. It says they couldn't do it. The disciples could not heal him. Could not physically deliver him. Jesus answered, you faithless. And t-. Jesus gets a bit chippier, doesn't he? A little bit. A little bit annoyed with him, I think. So there is a, there's sometimes a, a godly way for annoyed. Not annoyed because someone cuts you up in traffic, but because the kingdom isn't advancing. Because we're not full of faith. There's a little bit of like, how long am I to bear with you guys? How long do I need to be here to show you? Bring him to me. Jesus rebukes the demon. It comes out of him and the boy's healed instantly. Then the disciples come to him. And, I, and this is the same question I've got. And it's the question that the disciples have got which comforts me is, why didn't it work? Why Jesus? Why couldn't we heal him? Right? Is that not the big question of the text? I think it's the big question of the text. We've got to remember God is good. Satan is evil. Why couldn't they heal him? Jesus then says in Matthew, it's because they had little faith. And then says faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Nothing is impossible for God. That's his response. And in Mark, he says something else. He says, you didn't even pray or you didn't even fast. In other words, like this kind of demon only comes out through prayer and fasting is what he says in Mark. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, you didn't have very much faith and you didn't even pray or talk to me about it. 
You just did your own thing. Is it any wonder nothing happened? Who are you doing this for? In whose name are you doing this, disciples? Is the question that Jesus fires back. Faith. That's the thing for us. You're like, well, this is all well and good, Dan. You know, I can see people are afflicted. Whether that's, whether that's caused to our own hearts through addictions and all that kind of stuff. And we're just so afflicted and so weighed down. You know, and you think, how can I help with that? Or perhaps it's the enemy in different circumstances at work. And be, how, how can I do something about it? What am I supposed to do? This, I believe, is what we're supposed to do. Is first, we're to have faith. Faith is your internal conviction on who God is and what he's like and what we believe, and it should lead to action. Our faith should never be passive. Never, ever, ever. Our faith should never just be like, this is our faith, and I keep it to myself, and I have a little club, and we have a holy huddle. We're gone. We're done. We're done if that's the case. That's not what it was ever meant to be. Faith is meant to be something that's lived out and active. Faith is meant to be something that's seen and visible. And our faith and our conviction isn't in anyone other than Jesus as the superhero. You know, um, in East Africa in particular, you know, well, I wouldn't drive. Um, I'd sit in the back of the car and let Arthur drive. And you'd go past church upon church with rammed because the prophet of God is in town. And he's mega and he'll do all these amazing things. No, he won't. And you've just spent your life savings. Like, it's not about the personality. It's about Jesus. You know, we don't have to be super evangelists. But we should honor those that are super evangelists. But actually, it's about Jesus. It's about us pointing towards him. Our faith is in him. Your faith is not in me. Your faith is not in yourself. Your faith is in Jesus. Your hope is not in yourself. Your hope is in Jesus. That's the only way. If our hope is in ourselves, we're done, aren't we? But we have to put our faith, and this is the reason why, because we put our faith in the one who has spiritual authority. Demons are what? What did I say that they are? Fallen angels. Angels are what? Created beings. Therefore, Jesus created angels. Therefore, by proxy, uh, when they fell, they're a created being. They're not something that's just risen out of the darkness of their own accord. They've not made themselves up. Jesus has authority over them. So when Jesus rebukes them, he's rebuking them as the creator to the created. Which is why when we are involved in these kind of situations, we have to have faith in his name. When we're dealing with this kind of thing, when we're praying for people, we're calling upon the name of Jesus. Because it's his authority. It's his name that makes a difference. There's that bit in, I've just been reminded of it, in the New Testament, isn't there, where um, I think it's in Acts. And the guys are like, they want to be like prophets and they go and pray for a guy that he's set free. And the demon kind of responds and says, I've heard of Paul. I've heard of Jesus. But who are you? I don't know who you are. You're not bearing the name of Jesus. Or even Paul in that context to someone who was like a mega apostle. I've heard of these guys. They had a reputation in hell, but you don't. So whose name are we bearing? Who's trust, who are we trusting in? Who's our faith placed in? Imagine your own television. We've all got a TV, right? Mostly. Or if we haven't got a TV, you might have a laptop and, you know, try and get around it and watch BBC iPlayer. Um, most of us have them, okay? I want you to think of it like this. Faith is like the power to your TV, like the charge, if you like. If it's not plugged in at the wall, 
it's not got any power. It's not working, is it, your TV? But if it's plugged in at the wall, it's full of life, particularly if Blue Planet 2's on. Oh, mega. Like, it's full of life, full of vibrancy, looks great, especially in HD and 4K. And I think they just make up numbers and letters and put them together, don't they? And like, this is the next big thing, 7G. Like, that'll be the next thing. Um, but actually, if it's not plugged in, it's not fulfilling its purpose, is it? What have you got? Well, you've probably just got a pretty screen that's pretty redundant and not really doing anything. Uh, it's not got any vibrancy. It's not got any life. It's not got any color. In fact, it's not fit for purpose. If it's not plugged in, what's it doing? It's not working properly. That's a little bit like us. If we're not plugged into God, if it's not his name that we bear, if it's not faith in his name that we're, we're kind of going after, then we're like a TV that's not plugged in at the wall. Where does our power, where does our authority, where does all that come from? It's not from ourselves, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we take that authority that Jesus gives to us as sons and daughters of God, it brings freedom, it brings life, it takes brokenness and brings healing. But it's only in the name of Jesus that it happens. It's only in his name. And in order for that to take place, you've got to know the guy you're talking about. You can't just rock up and say, in Jesus' name be healed. But I don't know who Jesus is and I don't care. I'm just saying a name because it's cool. It doesn't work like that. A relationship's an investment into something. You've got to know this Jesus. You've got to be plugged in. The disciples' issue, in some way, even though they spent two years with Jesus, they've got a bit of a defective faith. Their faith maybe wasn't in Jesus. Maybe they weren't plugged in properly. Maybe they fancied themselves as a bit of the hero. You do see that a little bit through the stories, don't you? Uh, can my two sons have the bit next to you when you're in heaven, Jesus? Can they have the best two seats in the house? Uh, Jesus, can I do this? Can I do that? Like there's always this little kind of story going on in the background that they want to be the hero. But Jesus says you had little faith. All you needed was to be plugged in at the right source. All you needed was to trust in me. Because here's a question for you, church. When it comes to scenarios like this in the Bible, which we might not see that often but happen, or with, with other things that go on that really, really suck. How awesome is our God? Is our God big enough to tackle it? Is our God able enough, powerful enough? Well, Jesus says, have faith like a mustard seed and you'll move mountains. Now, it doesn't literally, it's not a literal statement, but it, it, it's a point. It, it's a, a metaphor to say, actually... Things that you think are impossible are possible in my name. Sickness being reversed is possible in my name. Being set free from addiction is possible in my name. Young boys like this, afflicted by the enemy, it's possible they're set free in my name. It's really important we have faith and we're plugged into the right source. Nicky Gumbel says this. I think he's nicked it from someone else. He says, regret looks back. Fear looks around, worry looks in, but faith looks up. You know, you can worry about it, you can fret about it, you can look back, you can regret, but faith looks up. Our courage, our hope, our patience will be built, will grow if we're plugged in, if we're full of faith. You will have courage for the fight. You will have patience in affliction. 
you will have hope, even when there's no reason for hope, if our faith is in Jesus. If it's in anything else, we won't, and we'll dwindle away. So we're to have faith, and then lastly, we're to pray. This isn't in Matthew's passage. You'll actually notice, I'm going to draw attention to it, just because it's one of those quirky things about the Bible. There's no verse 21 in Matthew chapter 17. You eagle-eyed would have seen that, and it's probably because they think that somebody's read Mark's account and then gone, ooh, this bit's missing, and they've added it in at a later date. So the actual more accurate translations, the more accurate original manuscripts don't have verse 21. So that's why it's missing. But actually what's missing isn't necessarily wrong because Mark says it in Mark chapter 9. So it's there in the Bible anyway, and it says this kind of thing only comes out through prayer and fasting. That's what Jesus has to say we're to pray. Not only have the disciples had a failure of faith, they've had a failure to pray. They're like, oh, here's this boy. He's not good. We'll just do our own thing. They didn't consult Jesus. They didn't ask Jesus. They didn't say, we might need your help, mate. They were just doing their own thing. And I've said this before. I was once at a conference where I was asked to come out and lay hands on someone and declare that they were made well. And I was told categorically, do not pray. And I thought, I'll screw that. So I started praying which upset the man a little bit. Because actually, we're to pray. I can't heal anybody, but I can ask the one who can. I can't set people free, but I can ask the one who can. We're to have faith, and we're to pray, and fast. And fast, as I said before, is about seeking God earnestly. How can we do Jesus' work without Jesus' power? Can we? I don't think we can. How can we do it? How can we do Jesus' work without Jesus' authority? We can't. But it's been given to us through faith if Jesus is front and center. If unashamedly we're about Jesus. God has given his authority to his children that in the name of Jesus, blind eyes can be opened. That good news can be proclaimed to the poor. That the oppressed can be set free. And so often, don't we, with life, we can be a little bit like the disciples. We can kind of cruise through life and we forget to pray. I know that's me because I read that and I go, oh, I'm just like the disciples. I forgot to pray. I forgot to ask for God's kind of help on this. I'm just doing my own thing again. What am I doing? We're to come to God in prayer. He wants to hear about us. Now, this doesn't mean being super spiritual. It doesn't mean every time we're like, God, do you want me to have a mayo chicken or a double cheeseburger? I think he wants us to have both. That's how I justify it. Like, we don't need to be super spiritual with every single decision. Like, and not do anything because we're like, I'm just waiting for the voice from heaven to give me an answer. I always go, am I at peace with this? Is this something that would please God? Is this something that's like in line with the Bible and his character and is good and is pleasing to heaven? And with our decisions, why do we apply for jobs? Or why do we do things with our kids? Or we, we try, like, I want to move house, I want to do this. But we don't consult God. We don't say, God, what's your angle on this? God, what do you think? That's basically what the disciples did. Oh, we'll sort out this lad, but I don't, know what, I don't know what Jesus has to think. I don't know what Jesus has to say. Question for us, church, and this is a hard question, and it's one that only you can answer. Do we only pray when things go wrong? Do we only call on God when it's difficult? 
Because God wants us all the time. And God wants us to call on him all the time. A relationship where we only call on someone when things go wrong, in a human terms, they're not happy relationships, are they? So why would we apply that same logic to our relationship with God? It goes wrong for the disciples here because they don't pray and they don't seek God. And you know what? Because they don't pray and because they don't seek, seek God's face, nothing happens. You seen that? Nothing happens. Jesus wants to heal this boy. Jesus wants this guy to be set free. But because they're not praying, because they're not plugging in with faith, because they're doing their own thing, because they're not on board with the kingdom manifesto, nothing happens. And so often that can be our experience and we don't see anything. Well, who are we doing it for? And if we're doing it for Jesus, I guarantee you we'll start to see some things. I guarantee you pray for people and there will be healings from time to time. Now, there's no guarantee in Scripture that God will always heal, but we know he hears our prayers. And I've seen it with my own eyes that people have been healed. So I know it happens. So I know it will happen again if we continue to seek his face. And you know what I love most of all about this entire passage, and I use this to wrap up, because some of you here this morning might be feeling a bit afflicted. I'm not saying by the enemy. I'm just saying you might be feeling afflicted. You might be kind of like down and out. You might have had enough. You might be tired. You might be low. You might be tempted to give up on God. Here's the good news. God doesn't give up on you. Don't you love that? The disciples get it wrong. Nothing happens. Does Jesus go, all right, boys, you've tried. Let's move on. Doesn't, does he? He, doesn't, he could do that, I'm sure. But he doesn't do that. He says, oh, guys, let me deal with it. And I love that that's what Jesus is like with us. Even when we're in our lowest, maybe we give up with God and we're, we're, we're struggling. We're not full of faith. Maybe our faith is really small, but Jesus doesn't give up on you. Jesus never gives up on you because he loves you, because he died for you, because he was resurrected to life for you. So even if we're in pain, even if we're in suffering, even if we're in the midst of trial, Jesus has not given up on you. If you believe that to be true, it's a lie. Jesus hasn't given up on you because it's not in his DNA to do so. He doesn't do that because he loves and he loves and he loves. And if Jesus loves and loves and loves, what should Jesus' people do? It was kind of rhetorical, but like you could have shouted at me. That's okay. I don't mind a bit of shouting. Jason's normally quite good at that. He's on a war and okay. <laughs> not from me, I would like to add <laughs> If Jesus doesn't write people off, then we shouldn't write people off too. We don't have all the answers. We don't have everything figured out in life, do we? No one is pretending that we do. No one is pretending that we have every single I dotted and every T crossed. But we just have to take it to him. We just have to, in faith, take it to him.